Welcome everyone to this episode of Making the Argument. Nick is not with us, he has gone to get the milk, but let me tell you, we have a very exciting episode today with Tina, Queen of the Bees. So we're going to dive into a lot of different things. Tina, what are we going to talk about today? Oh my goodness. I get to tell all the stories that Nick, you know, you know, bumps me under the table and tells me not to tell, you know, when he's here. I'm kidding. He doesn't do that. The he does that to big. you too? <laughs> table's too big. He can't reach me from there. But anyway, um, so yeah, I got, I got uh, promoted to the big chair today. Yeah. And I get to sit here and tell you all of the funny things. Um, but I really, today is going to be just sort of a compilation of sort of how we ended up where we are and who we are, um, how we met, how we, you know, raised our kids, how we dealt with military life. So we're going to talk about several different aspects, and I promise I will bring it all together for uh, a little making the argument at the end, and uh, hopefully I will do it justice, and I won't make anyone fall asleep today. And we are encouraging you to do, give us your questions in the YouTube live chat or, or on Rumble. We'd love to get the interaction from you all and have you help us drive the direction of, sh of the show today. All right. So we can just dive right into it. Do, do either of you oh, have oh, any? You know what? I forgot something. Today's episode is powered by Good Ranchers. Oh, my gosh. How dare you forget the meat? I know. I know. Uh, okay. Well, are, are we gonna? Who's going to be doing the introductions? With me, as always, is... <laughs> oh, I can say we've got... Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Look, I know how to do it too. And then we have the Christian of doom. Some people have, <laughs> and some people have actually called him the, uh, what did they call you? The Christorian made a little play on yeah. words. We still haven't completely locked in, but I really love the Christian of doom because we're always doomed, uh, with Christian. He's, he's our resident back black pillar. And, uh, <laughs> resident. I've, I've been trying to move towards the white pill lately. He's doing and good. Then obviously we have, the, the queen of the bees is going to be queen the of beans. host. Oh, yeah, of the beans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I rewatched that episode uh, like, like a couple beans. weeks ago. He absolutely said beans. He By did. the way, that's probably the best episode from my standpoint that, that the three of us did. You actually missed that episode. I, I really wish that you had been yeah. there, but it's okay. We're making up for it today. It's okay. I always go back and watch them, though, because you guys are so interesting, and I miss our time together when I'm not here. But um, so I am just going to jump right into it, Okay. So I come from a family of farmers um, on one side, and um, that's on my biological dad's side. And so very conservative folks over there. And I come from also um, a small business owner. My, my stepdad, who is the one that really uh, did all the work in raising me, <laughs> um, usually when I'm referring to my dad, I'm talking about my stepdad. And when I am referring to um, my real dad or my biological dad, I'm talking about my biological dad. And I love them both. Um, but the relationships were very different. And my, uh, my stepdad is the one who really had the biggest influence on shaping who I am today. So I was a very, very strong conservative. I mean, so strong, like even when I was a little kid, I used to, you know, tell people how it was. And, and the, the fact that I thought Ronald Reagan was going to be the best president of our time. And we would all look back and agree. And my best friend's parents, uh, her mom and her mom's girlfriend, who I just thought they were friends at the time, <laughs> looked at me and said, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> and that was kind of the first time I realized there were people out there that, that didn't uh, take yeah. my view of the world. It was, I was maybe eight. And, um, and the reason why I was so conservative is because um, my, my dad owned a carpet cleaning business and I used to go on the van with him and I, I 
learned the value of hard work and, and ethic, but we were always listening to Rush Limbaugh. And he was blazing a trail at that time. There weren't a whole lot of other conservative yeah. talk show hosts. And it was just, we were constantly listening to Rush and we loved him um, with talent on loan from God. Well, <laughs> anyway, um, he was able to go back and bring it back to God. Anyway. I, I remember when I was growing up that my grandfather and I would go different places and whatnot. We would listen to Rush Limbaugh. And that definitely was a, a major reason why I was so politically minded, even in middle school, sometimes getting in debates with my principal about Obamacare. <laughs> oh, yeah. My grandparents did the same thing. They listened to Limbaugh like every day until he retired. Yeah. I, well, I remember I as a Rush. kid hearing that, like, I would go over to their house and, and, you know, like, you would hear the music be playing when it go you know, when, when, you know, he goes dun, to the commercial. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, um, dun, 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 and just. I remember. Yeah, I, I totally. <laughs> you know, what's funny is my father introduced Rush Limbaugh to my grandparents and he totally regretted that because my dad oh, yeah. is like on the left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah Someday we need to have a Christian episode where we could be like, how did you end up being a conservative with a very left wing father um, and then a, a Christian conservative mom? But uh, well, your conservatism as a kid, if I recall, this is actually one of the story. A lot of the stories that you're bringing up in today's episode. I, I don't know. Maybe half of them I know. I know for a fact that there's a lot that you wanted to talk about today that yeah. I don't know yet. Yeah, there's a whole but bunch of good stories there's here. There's one story in particular about like when you met Nick for the first time yes. that I do know. And yeah. this relates to like you revealing how conservative you actually really yeah. were. So, go so ahead and I was one of those kids that was so conservative I would just send you with the heat of my conservative fire. And I did not feel bad one bit about it. And I would, I just, I said it loud, said it proud. I like hated Michael Dukakis. And I was all about Ronald Reagan. And I'm, I still think Ronald Reagan is the best president of our time. Um, I do think Donald Trump did a good job too, but I, I'm still a Reagan fan. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we. I went to this new Christian school, and going to Christian school, I, I went to um, a junior high in a, in a secular public school, and it was pretty rough already back then. And then we're talking 30 years ago, because I'm about, I'm 44 years old. And so uh, my parents decided that they were going to kind of scrape it together and send me to a Christian school. And so my first foray into Christian school, and we had this trip to the lake, and of course, um, all of us girls were wearing T-shirts over our bathing suits. You know, if you know, you know, right? Because of of how sometimes it can be in the Christmas app or Christian atmosphere. Um, a lot of times, girls are like constantly told to cover up while the boys are running around, like with no shirt on and doing whatever they do. Like so. Anyhow, uh, there we were sitting on the beach of the lake. And he, I don't re even remember how the conversation started, but we were arguing over which of us was more conservative. Now, who are you arguing with? Nick Freitas. Really? I met him for the first time and uh, we were not immediately, uh, like we were not immediately attracted to each other, I don't no. think. Um, and I was like sort of a firebrand and he was gonna, you know, tell me how it really was because he was... He, he just was sure he was more conservative than me. And so we just went back and forth on all of the issues. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? You know, abortion, you know, economic policy, yeah. money. You know, we were talking about wars. 
and just everything. And um, was there any like major area of disagreement? No. Really? We were like so aligned. It wasn't even funny, but we sat there and talked about how like I am more conservative than you. And, and he'd be like, no, I'm more conservative than you. And we're still kind of working that out. Like <laughs> that's an argument we're having like forever and I'm happy to have it forever. But, um, but it is, it is kind of um, interesting because we had a lot of interactions um, throughout high school. Cause we didn't actually start dating until our senior year of high school. And, uh, but y'all we, met in ninth grade? Ninth grade. Okay. And we had lots of interactions leading up to when we actually ended up getting together. And there was this one in particular uh, where Nick um, called me a liberal. Really? Um, yeah. So, okay, let me let me backtrack just a little bit. So his brother comes to the school for the first time. And I made some kind of a crack about how, oh, you're, you're good looking like your brother. Uh, but he's a self-righteous hypocrite, so I'd never date him. And the reason <laughs> the reason I called him a self-righteous hypocrite, um, and I'll just call him out right now, is because we all, this was our 10th grade year, maybe our junior year, might have been our junior Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, we all sign a student handbook saying that we won't break certain rules. And over the summer, Nick and his friends, somebody bought them beer. And they had a couple of beers and uh, word got back to the school. It was over the summer and somebody totally narked on him um, to the principal and told her all about, you know, these guys and they had some beers. And um, so he got in all kinds of trouble and it made it so that he wasn't eligible to run for student body president again. No. And. And so I called him a self-righteous hypocrite because it was hypocritical of him to sign that and then act differently and, yeah. and the whole deal. So but maybe, maybe his political career would have started earlier had yeah. he been able to run for student. Yeah. Well, no, he did. Actually, our, okay, that's another story. Our sophomore year, he had run in our ninth grade year for student body president, and he won. And he was definitely the best president we ever had at that school. It was a tiny school. Uh, graduating class of like 27 and I am telling you he's been fighting for women's rights since we were in 10th grade and I will tell you how he um, was the one who fought to make it so that us girls could wear jeans just like the boys oh. like we could actually wear blue jeans I was waiting for the no more shirts over swimsuits no <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't have minded that either but no he he actually fought for women's rights to wear blue jeans just like the boys and um so it, it was it was funny um we had a lot of uh, various interactions like that in, in response to me calling him a self-righteous hypocrite he called me a liberal and that's an insult it can you believe that and not only that but like this is Nick Freitas we're talking about he doesn't resort to name calling yeah no, but he knew. He knew I was so right. What? So that's how you know I was right because he resorted to name calling. So that was a horrible so insult. Was there ever a time when y'all's arguing got you in trouble? Oh yeah. Um, there was because I just imagine y'all being in class arguing about this, that, and the other. Oh uh, yeah. Um, sometimes, but there was this one time we were um, outside, you know, having lunch. And I was eating my healthy lunch of a Barks root beer and a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah. Because that's what I did back then. And I could do it for some reason. But anyway, so I'm sitting there. I've got my little root beer sitting on the table. 
And Nick's over there on the other side of the table talking with his buddies, doing whatever. And he got mad about something and he slammed his fist down on the table. And my root beer came like just like launched into my lap and soaked me. And I jumped up and I yelled at him for some reason. And I, I had a peanut butter cup in my hand. And he came back at me. I came back at him and I shoved my peanut butter cup right in his face. Just, and so the teachers were like, you two to the principal's office now. (laughs) And so we both go to the principal's office and I'm mad and he's mad and we're waiting and we're mad. And then I start laughing and he starts laughing. And so then the principal opens the door and we're both just cracking up and uh, we ended up not getting in trouble. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, we've always had a little bit of, we've had a lot of heat in our, um, relationship. It's always been like that and, um, nothing, you know, nothing dangerous, obviously, but we, we definitely both like to make our case and stick to our guns and, and that makes for some fireworks sometimes. And, uh, but that, that's our principal. That was Mrs. Hedden. She was, she was pretty good. She was usually on the girl's side. Um, she had my back a lot. So there was one time in particular, um, if you guys want to hear the villain story, does anybody want to hear that Tina was a villain story? Tina was a villain. This is one of the stories I've never heard. This one has nothing to do with Nick. So I'm just going to tell you guys. So if anybody wants to know, like do women sometimes use manipulation? Well, even I have done it in my past. And so we had this one teacher named uh, Mr. Morgan and he was a good teacher, but he was not that much older than us. You know, it's like, senior year of high school. Um, and I think he might've been maybe seven or eight years older than me. And so he was pretty young. And I remember him, uh, getting married and, and just how excited he was about getting married and the whole deal, because these were Christian people and they were waiting till marriage. And, and he was like 27 getting married, married, I think, or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, somewhere in that range. And, um, I remember, after he had gotten married, the year after he'd gotten married, he would be like, he'd come in like super moody sometimes. And we're like, why is he so moody? Mm-hmm. And my friend, uh, Valerie, we used to play off each other a lot. And she was a good friend and um, mutual friend with Nick and everybody. But anyway, Valerie was like falling asleep in class. She's in like one of the front rows. And Mr. Morgan always had like a soccer ball with him for some reason. I don't know. It was very, it was like a movie. It was like the teacher who always has a soccer ball, but he was science. It was like biology or something. Anyway, she falls asleep like sort of in class because she's tired. It's after lunch or whatever. And he like kicked her desk and like bounced the uh, basketball or the the, uh, soccer ball off her desk and like rattled her cage. She gets up. She's like, wow, what are you doing? And da, da, da. And it sort of er erupted this big explosion in class. So, of course, I'm like, psh. I grab my little backpack and I grab my little piece of paper and I'm like writing a note frantically like I'm going to tell her what I think is the problem with Mr. Morgan and I go to a Christian school. And so there are certain things you probably shouldn't talk about at a Christian school that you probably know about as a teenager, but you shouldn't talk about. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm writing to her. Should I tell you guys what was in the note? If you think it's appropriate. Okay. So... (laughs) I have no it's idea not, where this is going. It's not appropriate. So I'm like writing to Valerie and I'm like, Valerie, don't worry about it. He's just probably like sexually frustrated or something. Like his wife's probably holding out on him. 
And that's probably what's going on. Don't worry about it, girl. You know, because she was like crying or something. And so I'm like doing the like, I'm going to be my, be a friend and I'm going to pass her this note. Well, I get right at about trying to encourage her. Yeah. I get right at about to the point where like in the note where, you know, oh, Mrs. Morgan's probably holding out on him. And I felt a presence over my shoulder. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) I look up and it's him. And he's like, what are you writing? Let me see the note. And I'm like, you can't see the note. And he's like, let me see the note. (laughs) So I grab it. I wad it up as fast as I can. And I shove it down my shirt because I know he ain't going for it there. And I'm like, I'm not giving you the note. (laughs) And he's like in the hallway right now. So I get out to the hallway and I'm like, I'm not giving you the note. Give me the note. Not giving you the note. So he runs to the principal's office, which is right down the way. And he's like, Tina, Tina Pierce. That was Tina Pierce back then. Tina Pierce wrote a note in class and I'm pretty sure it's about me. You know, like he's on, he's like on the rampage. Right. And I took my moment. I'm like, here's my moment. Cause I cannot let him get this note. I go to a Christian school. I shouldn't even know about that stuff. Yeah. You know, let alone be talking about it. I'm pretty sure I'd be expelled for that. So he goes to get her and I'm like, this is my moment. I pull it out and I start ripping it up frantically, like into the tiniest little pieces so that I know like <laughs> he's not going to get it. And then I like shove it into my pocket and I'm just squeezing it in my pocket as hard as I can. And he comes back and he's like, she's, she's ripping it up. Get it. She's ripping it up. And so then she's like, Tina, come on. And he's like, you know, and I get into the principal's office and, and I, at this point I'm crying because I'm so scared of, I was terrified of him getting the note. And so the tears were real. Right. But that's when my villainous side kicked in and uh, I, I look at Mrs. Hedden and I'm like crying and she's like, what is going on? What is the note about? Like, what is happening? And I'm like, I can't let him see the note. I can't let him see the note. And she's like, well, why not? And I said, well, it was to Valerie because it's that time of the month and I'm like really need something from her and see if she <laughs> oh had anything. <laughs> um, and I, I don't have any like pads and I really, oh I'm like so scared of him getting the note. <laughs> Wow. That, oh, yeah, you wow, guys. That, Isn't that horrible? That, and I was so bad. And he knew. Like, I I go back and I'm like. He knew that wasn't true. Oh, he knew because I think he saw some of the words. But he knew, but he couldn't prove it because at that yeah. point, I had, like, destroyed the note completely. And uh, he was never going to be able to prove that I had done it. And so he was giving me side eye for the rest of the day and the rest of the week because he just knew. I wonder if he's watching right now. <laughs> they do They it's do sometimes unlikely. follow us. But anyway, poor Mr. Morgan. I felt so bad. And I, oh my gosh. Like, it is, it is a great, like, yeah, it's a good story. But wow. um, yeah, so okay. that, that was the Tina is a villain story. <laughs> I, yeah, it probably didn't happen a lot, though. No, not much. That was, like, my worst, like, yeah. moment, probably. Creative. One of them. Oh, it the was creative. Solution. Yeah, but, uh, but you know what? Like, that will tell you. Girls will say whatever they got to say, and once you once they know that they've got some 
power in a certain area and they can play off your emotions, they, they will use it. I know because I've done it. I did it back then. Although I, I just, I feel so bad. Yeah, you guys, I am evil. I'm Karen so Hamilton sorry. asks, what grade were you? Uh, were, were you in at the time? Uh, I think she says, what grade did you get in that class? Oh, I, I, I think she... I had like a B or something. Oh, so. Yeah, it, it was um, Mr. Morgan. Like he was a good teacher and, and he was, he was, I felt really bad to do that to him, but he could not get the note. You guys, if he would have gotten that note, no. I would have been expelled. <laughs> like I was way more afraid of getting the note mm. and you know, I will say this. Maybe if if that had happened, I don't know if you and Nick would have gotten together. True. True. And thus everything I that has led to now. Everything. Like you by guys, ripping up that note, you, you, you saved this me. podcast. I saved the <laughs> this podcast. podcast by not up be a thing. <laughs> this podcast br brought to you by Tina's villain story. Uh no, I'm actually kidding. brought to you by That's right, Christian. This episode is powered by Good Ranchers. Now, I know you've heard us talk a lot about Good Ranchers and just how much we enjoy their steaks, chicken, and seafood. But today, I want to tell you about a brand new offer they just announced this week. For a limited time, you can get 2 pounds of high-quality ground beef for free for 2 whole years when you start any subscription. Free ground beef every single month for two years is awesome. But just think about how much prices are changing inside the grocery store and where they may be in two years. Wouldn't it be great if you could lock in your price on the meat you already purchased for the next two years? Well, you can do that with Good Ranchers. Visit the link in the description of this episode and use promo code Nick to get $30 off your order and free shipping. Okay, so back to Nick. Uh -huh. So y'all are in high school, you know, what what grade are we in so far? Okay, so we didn't actually get together until our senior year, and I can tell you how that happened. Um, yeah. Uh, well, no, I can't tell you how that happened. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we we really um, we really liked each other in a non romantic way because yeah. I had a boyfriend through like the whole time leading up, and actually. Uh, Nick kind of stole me from him. We won't talk about that part. You guys can ask Nick about how he stole me from somebody else. But um, anyway, we we started going, Had we had a PE class. It was called like Lifestyle PE. And we drove to the classes. Like we did golf, we did batting cages. Like yeah. we did all kinds of, you know, outdoorsy tennis stuff, like everything. And we, we everything was a field trip to do it. So it was like the last period of class. And so he would ride with me in my little purple truck and, um, you know, we started talking a lot and, and then, you know, things spurred on from there. And Nick had always wanted to be in the army. Um, he, you know, he tried to get into West Point and, um, that physics grade just wasn't quite what it needed to be for him to get into the West Point. Um, and so, of course, he blames me for not getting into West Point. Oh, really? Yeah, because um, I actually argued his grade down in art one day. Um, yeah, because I got full credit for the for the for it, and like there was extra credit too that you could get if your grade wasn't uh, up to par. And she gave him the extra credit and really should not have. Like he basically had a pile of trash, and I had to explain how. He was distracting everybody all week on this project. And then he glued a bunch of trash, literal trash, to the board. 
and then was able to kind of BS his way through this being a piece of art, which is kind of accurate, I guess. I guess it makes sense now because I look at a lot of art and I'm like, yeah, that's that's garbage. But but anyway, it was a sign of the times. Did yeah, and so I are I went up and I'm like, okay, he did not get a full grade on this. Why are you giving him the extra credit? Like, he's going to end up with the same grade as everybody else who produced something much better. And anyway, she gave him, um, you know, just like knocked one point off of it, and then he like blamed me for his grade not being high enough to get into West Point. It was pretty funny, but um, again. Had he gotten into West Point? <laughs> if he had gotten into here. West Point, like we might not be, yeah, together. Because you're not allowed to get married at West Point. Um, you can't get married. You you can't be married. You have to get married after West Point. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so that was a lot of fun. Um, he went off to the Army. We got together. We started dating about like November of our our senior year of high school. R real quick, mm -hmm. I've got to read off this super chat from Daffy Duck. He said, Nick didn't steal her. He liberated her. That's true, Daffy. That is so true. Um, yeah. No. Um, no, it, what it was is, is uh, it was one of those situations where, you know, when you're a kid and you just kind of are in like a kid relationship for however long, and then all of a sudden someone comes along and you're like, Oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel about yeah. somebody. And it was like that. It was uh, like just that same amount of heat and fire in our arguments when we were younger um, really kind of lit us both up when we when we started to date. And so um, it was probably best that he went off to the army because, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he goes to leave for the army. Y'all are graduated at this point. We graduate high school, and he's got to leave in, I think he left like June right after, maybe a couple weeks after graduation, a week, maybe two. And, um, you know, we stayed up all night, all of us, all of the friends and Nick stayed up all night and put him on that bus, and off he went to the Army. But before he left, he has this talk with me, and he's like, look, you know, I obviously am going to go off and obviously can't date anybody because I'm going into an MOS that um, has only men. <laughs> and Nick is very straight. And so he, he's very straight. He's super straight. Anyway, um, so he goes, look, um, I don't want you just waiting around and regretting, you know, anything. Um, you can date other people. Well, you know, and if, if you... Like, I don't want to hold you up if you want to date other people. Yeah. Go ahead. And I was, like, super, super offended by that. Like, really? it made me so mad because it was like, he doesn't even care about me. You know, like, why wouldn't he ask me to wait for him? He should have, you know. And how, how long was he gone for? Um. So his basic training, I want to say it was, like, eight weeks, and then he had AIT, which was another couple of weeks, and jump school, um, which was – another couple of weeks and so it total would have been 12 it was somewhere around 12 weeks so you had to wait 12 weeks to figure out okay what's the deal here well no i didn't wait for jack what <laughs> i did is i wrote him i'm like he thinks i'm gonna go off and like see other people this is garbage oh by the way you guys I put, uh, Hamilton, where's that picture of Nick and I? I'm yeah. going to show you guys what we looked like our senior year when we got together. 
It's so cute. It's so adorable. There we are. Uh, for those of you who can't see, um, there's Nick and I, our senior year of high school. Nick looks like he walked right off the set of 90210. You haven't changed. He looks a lot different. He lot was different. so beautiful. I love his I, eyes. I look at this and I'm like, there's no way you can convince me that that's the same person. <laughs> he was beautiful. Anyway, uh, and he still is. But okay, so you guys, um, so he goes off to the army, tells me to see other people. And I'm like, I am not seeing other people. That is trash. Like there is, look at him. And he was wonderful. He was just as wonderful then as he is now. There is no way I was going to screw this up and go see some inferior males. And um, so I, I got myself, you know, paper. And I, as soon as I found out the, like the, there's this whole process of getting um, the address to send letters because there was no like cell phone use or emails or nothing. You had to write letters. So I just, the day he left, I, I started off the letters with, well, you left today. And I just started talking to him through the letters and I wrote him every single day while he was gone. And I even, um, here's an interesting thing. He never told me he loved me before he left. And I have uh, this rule where it's like, I don't feel like uh, I should say something like that first. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get rejected. So if, uh, if he doesn't love me, um, I don't want him to feel like he has to say it just because I said it. So I'm right. going to wait. And I'm telling you guys, we started dating like in November of our senior year and I loved him already. I I already, it's the reason we got together is because I realized that I loved him. And that's why I was like, well, I can't see somebody else while I love this guy. Yeah. And, um, and so I ended up breaking up with the other person and I was so head over heels for him. How often did you get letters back? As much as, I mean, he wrote a lot too. Um, but I mean, it was definitely more sparse Yeah. and, um, but I, I wrote him letters and I thought, well, I can't tell him I love him in the letters because I haven't told him, he hasn't told me he loves me. So I would tell him I missed him. And that in my brain meant that I loved him. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like this funny little thing. And um, it wasn't until he graduated basic training and I flew out to see him for basic training and I had found myself a pretty dress to wear and I tried to look as pretty as I possibly could. And, um, I remember looking and looking and looking for him and out of nowhere, somebody comes running up and just grabs me and like swings me around and it was him. And, uh, anyway, it was just such a good feeling. Um, I missed him so bad. And that day we were with his family and we went to this cool little restaurant on the river of the Chattahoochee and uh, cause he was in Fort Benning, Georgia. I was going to say that's in Georgia, right? Yeah. yeah. And so he, uh, we go on this little, we're going to go on this little riverboat ride or something. But before we, we did that, he basically said, Hey guys, I'm going to go take a little walk with Tina. Um, because you know, the family wanted to all be around him. And so he wanted to peel me away and he walked me down the Chattahoochee, gave me a big kiss and told me he loved me. And, uh, and I responded with, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and 
it's like once he told me he loved me, I just wanted to hear it over and over again. And I told him I loved him too. And so that was, uh, yeah, um, that was the day Nick told me he loved me. And, and I guess I proved myself by writing him letters every single day. And I knew he kind of, he could not possibly have meant it because um, his letters were very, um, they were very loving letters, even though they were not, he didn't say I love you because he wants to say it in person. Yeah. But apparently he was really kicking himself for not telling me before he left because he did love me. He just, he was afraid to tell me and then have me send him a Dear John letter and say, you know, forget it. Um, and so, yeah, so that was, uh, that was that. Oh, he did- even had his buddy checking up on me. So my family sold their house um, and they were building another house. So we had to live in a little apartment during the summer after Nick, while Nick was in basic and I'm parked there, I'm getting ready for work. And all of a sudden, Eric knocks on my door, Eric Ewing, Nick's, this was Nick's best friend. And he kind of walks up and he knew where I lived originally. And he didn't know why I was at this freaking apartment. And he was about to like, throw down whoever was at that apartment with me right so he walks up and he knocks on the door I'm like hey Eric what's up and he's like hey Tina and he sort of steps in a little bit and looks around he's like what are you doing here and I'm like what are you doing here I live here and he's like you don't live here I'm like Eric come on in look at the furniture it's my parents furniture this is we live here we're waiting for our house to be built and he's like okay all right, like he was going to go and like bust somebody up for Nick. He ha- he was looking out for him, but uh, yeah. How so- long did you two date before you got married? Oh, uh, we got married. Um, let's see. Uh, we we ended up getting married in May after the year after we graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So um, we had been dating a little over a year, um, like a year and a half before we got married. Cause I remember when you told me the story of the, the non honeymoon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, <clears throat> before I tell you about the non honeymoon, let me tell you about the, uh, the time I thought he was going to ask me to marry him. Uh, Hot. Yeah. We went out to like, my friend had been telling me all this filling my head. Angie thinks a lot with all this stuff about how Nick's going to propose to you. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait. Whatever. And he's at the 82nd Airborne, and they only get block leave twice a year. So I was only getting to see him twice a year. Wow. And um, and so he flies back home for his Christmas block leave. How, how long is that? Uh, about 10 days, roughly. 10 days of block leave twice a year um, because they're on what you call a DRF status. And that's because the 82nd Airborne is a, red, is a DRF status like readiness division where they they're a rapid deployment d- division and so that at any moment they could just go yeah um, my uncle douglas was in the 82nd actually at the same time that nick was that's crazy that's yeah i remember when unit. nick learned about that they, they they were in different units but they apparently knew a few yeah nick was in second people. of the 325 and uh he was in a scout team and so anyway uh yeah he comes home and he um, takes me out to this nice dinner before he's going to leave. And it was just super fancy, nice dinner. And we were both really dressed up. And he has this little velvet box 
and that's got a little bow on it. And he like slides it across the table. You know, Merry Christmas is your Christmas present. And I'm like, oh. like, I just knew like he's about to propose to me. And I open this thing up and I flip it open and it is two beautiful earrings. They were trillion cut diamond earrings. They were beautiful. And I was so disappointed, but I had to pretend I wasn't disappointed, you know? Like, that, that had to have been hard. I was like, oh, man, like, thanks, this is great. And so he didn't propose. And I was like, wow, that sucks. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, it was not until, like, I want to say it was, like, in March or something. Like, it was March that he finally calls me one morning and is like, hey. And he had had some kind of, like, a, some kind of marksmanship, you know, kind of thing. Or no, what was it? No, he was going out for his um, his infantryman's badge, his expert infantryman's badge, EIB. And he was kind of mad with his performance on a couple of things, even though he totally like killed it. But he but he wasn't happy with himself, and he would like I guess had fallen asleep and overslept an alarm. I didn't know. And he calls me the next morning, like super early, because, you know, he's on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. And he's like, hey, your boyfriend's an idiot. Do you want to get married? <laughs> Literally, that's exactly what he said. And I'm like, don't don't play with me. Are you kidding? And, and he's like, no, I'm serious. And so um, it turns out, apparently, he had this whole plan the night before to have my family have the radio on. And, had, and, like, call in, like, a proposal over the radio. But he overslept because he was so tired what? from all that training. And he just, like, he, he slept th right through it. And so, and I'm sitting there in my living room going, why in the world is the radio, why are we listening to this dumb radio station? Like, I'm like, what's going on here? And I finally, I'm like, I'm tired, you guys. I'm going to bed. And so the next morning, I found out why he said he was an idiot. But that, that was a lot of fun. Um, and so he proposed to me and I wanted a spring wedding, um, someday, uh, you know how girls do. And it was either going to be next spring or this spring. There was only, you know, cause he only got block leave twice a year, right. once in May, once in December. And so if we're getting married in May, it's either going to be this May or next May. So we planned a wedding in six weeks and, um, we had people betting on us like, oh, they're probably getting married this quick because she's probably pregnant or something like that, which was definitely not the case. And, um, and so there, and like we had people betting, like how long do you think this will last kind of thing? Oh, wow. Because we were young, 19 and 20. I was 20. He was 19. But, um, you know, you guys want to hear something really crazy is, um, hey, do you have the picture? There is a picture of Nick and I on this ferret. It this looks one? like, looks like a tank. Yeah. That is us um, on our wedding day. And it's kind of crazy to me that um, our daughter, Lily, is going to wear my gown. Really? When she gets married. And she's getting married in June. And uh, Next next year, right? Well, obviously, because yeah, it's August She's now, getting married right? in June. And, um, and she asked Nick to wear his dress blues. And just like... It's so amazing to me that he's going to walk our daughter down the aisle in the dress that I wore 
And the last time those dress blues and that gown were in a church together, it was us. Wow. And I think that's pretty cool. But, um, yeah. So after we got married, um, Nick and I, uh, he ha- it was DRF status, as I said before. He had to be on a plane the very next day to fly back to North Carolina. Um, and so we literally just drove from the, you know, getting married all the way to the airport. And um, he, we stayed in like a, an airport hotel. And I put him on the plane the very next morning. And no honeymoon. He just had to leave. And that sucked. Um, and so... You did get to spend time with Robin, though. Yeah, so this is the, that's the honeymoon with my mother-in-law. Okay, so you guys, when I talk about mother-in-laws, like, people probably get in their brain like these crazy mother-in-laws, but I don't have a crazy mother-in-law. She's amazing. And um, and I didn't know her that well yet, but I did know she was really cool. And, um, and we got to know each other really, really well because we loaded up the truck and drove all of my things out to North Carolina and so I spent that, you know, four or five days um, of my honeymoon with my mother-in-law. Why were you moving to North Carolina again? Obviously, I'm assuming Nick was stationed there. He was stationed at the 82nd Airborne in North Carolina. Okay. And um, is this like Jacksonville? No, it was Vietnam. Fayetteville. Oh, I, I forget that that's North the Carolina. other. Yeah. Yeah, and so we... And we, you guys were just rolling in the dough at the time, right? <laughs> we were so poor, you guys. We got this little apartment called uh, Lake in the Pines, and we called it Lake in the Crimes. It was bad. Like, it was, like, bad. Like, the carpet was sticky. It was bad. Uh, really bad. But you know what? You get through it, and and it was fine. No big deal. So, but I mean, that kind of kicked off going into military wife zone. Yeah. How, how long um, after y'all's wedding did, was Nick able to come back? Um, boy, it, well, the thing is, is I was going to him, not him right. coming back. So, okay. I so see. I was going there to move in with him, um, you know, because we were married now. Yeah. And, um, and it was awesome. Like we, we didn't care that we were poor. We got to be together and that was like. That was the best. And um, it was it was a weird time because, you know, you're off on your own and like you're grown up. You're supposed to be grownups now, but you don't really feel like grownups yet. Right. And um, but he was on like this um, field problem rotation. Like he's constantly gone. Um, he I remember him going on like a 21 day field problem, like just a few like week or two after we got married. And so lots of fun. Um, but uh yeah, so, you know, really, um, we... Well, Tina, one, one of the things that, you know, I, I, I did not have any direct family uh, that served while I was, you know, growing up or alive. And I, I think one, one of the things that I've learned from you and Nick is that when a husband does deploy, the wife takes care of a lot. There's a lot Yeah, there. there- there is a lot. Um, I mean, we, um, we, we were stationed in North Carolina, ended up moving out to Hawaii because, you know, it, your first re, um, re-enlistment, you kind of get to pick where you want to go. He's yeah. like, so do you want to go to Italy or do you want to go to Hawaii? And this was a peacetime army at the time. When he joined, it was peacetime army. And very different thing than wartime army. But you also know that 
you know, you join a peacetime army knowing that everything you're doing, you, you didn't just join for the college money. You didn't just join for the, for the signing bonus. You know that everything could go haywire at any moment and you could end up becoming a wartime army. And it's a whole different, you know, thing at that point. And so um, when we were in Hawaii, that's when 9-11 hit. And I remember seeing... How long had y'all been in Hawaii? Uh, well, we were supposed to be there for three years. I think we had been there for less than a year Wow. or so. Um, or no, it was about a year. And I remember w- my dad calling me and saying, turn on the news. And it was the Twin Towers were going down. And... I told my dad at the time, I was like, we're going to war. And he's like, Tina, how could you say something like that? We're not going to war. They don't even know who did it. Don't just jump to that conclusion. I'm like, dad, we're going to war. We are. And um, it just kind of hit me that, okay, peacetime army's over and it's going to be wartime army now. And I remember everything changing, like everything locked down. Um, You used to be able to just drive right onto army bases. Yeah. And not have to show an ID or anything. Um, and at that point, every time we drove onto base, they were checking the bottom of your car with mirrors. They were going around checking your trunk. They were checking everything. Um, and just that's that's just what it was. And everybody had to pull gate guard at that point, um, whereas they used to not have to do that. And so every unit, they would rotate through and it would be their time to do the gate guard. So you had about a year of peace and calm. Yeah. And then it just all just flipped on a dime. Yeah. And, um, and it started to become like, uh, Nick was really getting annoyed with the fact that his unit wasn't deploying. Um, like the war is going on, his unit's not deploying. And, um, and there in that time frame, we also had a conversation about babies and when to have babies. And I really wanted to get, you know, I wanted us to have babies like in, you know, a year. And he wanted to have babies in like five years. So we settled on three years. And, um, and then about two or three weeks later, um, how many did you settle on? Three, three, okay, three years. Um, so I wanted a year, he wanted five years. I wanted, so we settled on three. And so like things just didn't feel right with me. So I go to the doctor and I'm, I'm supposed to be getting tested for some other things because I just didn't feel very good. Um, but the first thing they do is give you a pregnancy test every time. Like, yeah. it's like standard. And um, I got a call I wasn't expecting. I was pregnant. And um, and so I remember going to tell Nick that I was pregnant. And his friend, who I didn't like, was at our house and he ruined it. Oh, no. I was like, Nick, I, ha- I need to talk to you. And he's like, she's pregnant. And I'm like, I'm going to rip your face off, dude. Like, I could not believe he did that to me. Stole my thunder. But anyway, and that was Lily. And she was born at the big pink hospital, Tripler Army quick Medical question. Center. How long was it between 9-11 and that? 9-11 was in 2001. Lily was born in 2002. Okay. So it was like pretty close. Um, and it was funny. Uh, when, when I was pregnant with Lily, we went down um, to... You know, she was like eight days late and I was miserable. And so we go to the doctor and they're like, well, just you're not quite where you need to be. Why don't you go, you know, walk around a little bit, you know, walk the halls. 
So we're walking the halls. My mom's there. She's like, you need to hurry up and have this baby because I have to fly back home, you know. And we're walking the halls. And Nick used to do this thing because they were always getting their, like, medical kits. Um, they always had medical kits, you know, that they would take to the field with them or, or take with them the units. And since it's a teaching hospital, it's an Army hospital, it's, like, all Army stuff. And so he used to go through all the little drawers and look for gauze and look for little alcohol wipes and look for like lactated ringers and things like that. Like see if he could like take a few things back for their, for their go bags. And um, my mom used to get so freaked out when he'd start going through, what are you doing? You're going through stuff. Don't take stuff. And she's like, he's like, it's the army. It's, it's, it's all the army. I'm just going to get like the gauze and we're going to, it's going to get used for good things. I'm not just going to play with it. And, um, and she just kept getting on to him, like, stop going through everything. And we're walking the halls, and, and Nick sees this break room, uh, like nurse's break room or whatever. And the next thing you know, my mom and I are walking and down the hall, and here comes Nick out of this doorway carrying a microwave. Um, what? Yeah. He, like, went in, unplugs their microwave, and comes running out with it. Come on, we need to go. And my mom's like, what? And he was only kidding. He was teasing her because, mm -hmm. you know, that's how Nick does. He doubles down. <laughs> and my mom laughs so hard. She's like, I'm going to pee because I'm laughing so hard. She didn't. She didn't pee. It's good. Uh, but anyway, so he goes and he puts it back. He didn't actually steal the microwave. That is hilarious. That's Nick. And that's what he does. And uh, But, you know, after we went there, he went into special forces. He goes, um, goes through the entire training for that it was grueling um i remember when he came back from seer school and that was rough like i had never seen nick like that um seer school can it it definitely can break you how many years would you say that um this is not a planned question by the way it was just something that came to me like how many years would you say that you and nick you know were were married but he was gone like over 50 percent of the time yeah um our first 11 years of marriage. 11 um, years of no, no, being... No, 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 no. Oh, okay. During, through our first 11 years of marriage, off and on, we spent about six of it together. So about half, a little over half together. And the rest of it was him either being deployed, being on TDY, going through training, doing field problems. It was a lot of a part-time. So whenever I hear women that are like, oh, he's got to go on a work trip, and I'm kind of like, are you serious right now? Do you think that... I don't know if there's any like numbers on this. I might actually look this up. Like, do you think the divorce rate is higher with military families? It can be, yeah. Um, because maybe they're just apart for so long. I think some of it really just depends on your character. Because I remember people really getting freaked out when Nick went special forces because the divorce rate is really high in special forces, and they're like, "Oh, don't you know the divorce rate is this?" And blah blah. blah. You guys are gonna like fail or whatever. It's like it seemed like we always had people kind of betting against us on things, yeah. but they would throw out that divorce rate and, and we'd look back at them and go, that's that divorce rate has nothing to do with us. Yeah. Our relationship is our relationship. And yeah, we're going to face challenges, but, um, that divorce rate has nothing to do with me and, um, everything to do with other people and their choices. And, um, so yeah, he, we special forces. Um, I mean, it, it was, uh, it was rough because we we got to special forces like the first group we got into our apartment 
Um, we find out we're pregnant again, and um, and he's like getting used to his unit. And it's pretty rough when you're first getting used to. He got assigned to an A team, and um, and you know he's going through it. And you know Nick always kind of went through this period of time. Every time he does something new, he's like, I feel like I'm sucking. I feel like I'm not doing this well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you say that every time, and then you end up totally dominating. Like he he does. Yeah. And and Nick's this type of person where. If he's able to do it, he assumes it's just easy. So he'll he'll go, oh, I'm going to go, you know, be in the infantry and be on a scout team. Then he'll do it and he'll, uh, it's no big deal. And then, oh, I'm going to go air assault. I'm going to go, you know, airborne. I'm going to go to ranger school. I'm going to go. So he goes to all these different things to prove to himself he can do these things. But because he passed it, he's like, well, it couldn't be that big of a deal. I passed. Like, oh, I guess it's easy then. You know, well, it wasn't easy, but, um, and so he kind of had that mentality where like if, if there was a learning curve anywhere he went and he felt a little bit out of his element until he got settled in, he really felt like he was just screwing things up. Um, there's an interesting question in chat that I think is worth asking for you, Tina, um, Uh Dave Matthews. Um, probably not affiliated with the band, um, says at Tina did, um, did, Delegate Freitas, um, it's so funny calling him that. Did Nick confer to you before deciding to join SF or did you just leave that decision for him to make? Oh, we discussed everything. We discussed everything. Um, How did that conversation go? Gosh, I, it's like... You don't have to like recount the yeah, exact conversation, was, but the it generalities. Was something, to the, something to the fact, uh, to the effect of um, this unit's never going to go and deploy... Um, this really sucks. I need to get into this war. How can I get into the war? Hey, this team's pretty cool or this group's pretty cool. Um, I'm going to become a Green Beret. So after 9-11, he like, he wanted to fight as yes. I, the the vibe that I get from having yeah. similar conversations with him about this. Nick type is of the stuff. type of person where if, if everybody's running away from danger, he's running to the danger. Speaking of that, I actually have a story from his early political days. Oh, I yeah? think that we're at the point of that because we're about an hour in. So I think that we do want to want to actually bring up like some of the, the maybe the post-military entering his his political phase stuff. I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah, I like well, there's, there's a, hang on. There, there's one story about him like running into danger that that needs to be shared. Yeah, when it's Nick, hilarious. it was like his first month in office in Richmond, in the General Assembly. He had just been sworn in. This was January 2016. He was elected in November. He took office in January. It was still that month. He was like two weeks into into being a delegate. And he and I were having a conversation in his office. Um, We were talking about some stuff that needed... It was like a Friday, I think. It was either a Thursday or Friday. It was later in the week. And him and I had stuck around in the office later than, than many of the other people that had already gone because we would just have these like three hour conversations about stuff that was unrelated. It was very unproductive when him and I were working together professionally yeah. in Richmond because we couldn't get anything done. But anyway, um, we wrapped things up. He had um, put everything in his backpack, like his laptop, his iPad, like all the, all the stuff that the, the state jambalaya gives you. I had made him. Yep. Yep. Your food. Um, he had, just everything that he used on a day-to-day basis to do his job in Richmond. And he walked out of the building. And I stuck around a little bit later because I was wrapping up some work. And suddenly I get this phone call from Nick. And he's like frantic, like like you could, not, not frantic, like panicking, but frantic. And like you could tell that he was very busy. And there was a lot of stuff going on. There was like some sirens and stuff like that. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, 
this this woman got hit by a car. She got run over. It's a hit and run. I ran over to 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 help her. She's like laying out in the middle of the street. Nobody else was helping her. Nick was the only one. He like dropped his bag, ran out to the middle of the street to provide first aid to this there lady were a and ton of people there too mm-hmm. just kind of like it milling. was in the middle of broad street yeah. downtown richmond they were milling about wondering what to do like everybody goes mm-hmm. into panic mode and then nick, nick was the only one not. to to help this lady he ran over to to help her and he um he was uh you know calling for an ambulance and somebody steals his backpack and runs off with it yep. and nick tries to chase after them but he he can't um because he's trying to help this woman and so like I'm in the Capitol, like, having to talk to Capitol Police about how do we try to, like, get this stuff back. Spoiler alert, we never do. We never got it back. We never got it back. He went chasing after him. In the article, the newspaper article, it was like, um, Nick, you know, they asked him something, and he he went, somebody said, oh, I think the person went that way, and there he went, running off in his cowboy boots. Yeah. Like, it was just funny. And the um, the day after that incident, it was like published all over the newspapers, obviously. Um, some people in the house got up and was like, you know, I, I just want to point out that um, I'm very upset at Nick right now for making the rest of us freshmen look bad by comparison. Yeah. <laughs> even a Democrat, just been in office. A Democrat brought him a new backpack. It was Chanel Herring that, uh, um, who's now like in leadership in the Democratic Party. And they Party. pretty much all hate him now. This was before everybody hated yeah, him. They it didn't was, know that he was going to be formidable. They, they didn't know that he'd be a firebrand. But yeah. To her credit, Chanel Herring came to his office and gave him a new backpack yep. as a replacement. So that was very nice. And then uh, Bryce Reeves brought him a picture of uh, Captain America and and mm-hmm. told Nick he was now Captain America. That was the first thing that gave Nick some publicity. There's a few yeah. people that have like followed Nick ever since that that was like the first instance that they had heard of him was, was that whole ordeal. Because that took yeah. place like two weeks into him becoming, you know, getting into office. You know, the transition into uh, political life after leaving the military is kind of crazy. Like there are some positive things. There are some things that the military really prepares you for um, as a spouse and, and Nick himself um, for politics. But there are certain things that, that you, that are, it's a thing in the military and it's not a thing in politics. And one of those things is loyalty um, Nick is the type of person where like, oh, I mean, in the military, you had to trust that the person behind you on the stack had your back. They're kicking down doors and everybody's got their job to do. And you know, your, your buddies are going to save you if something goes down. You know, you're going to save your buddies if something goes down and like, you've got each other's back. You work together. You, you never try to uh, sabotage one another or thwart one another. Like right. it's, it's this is there's like a lot of honor in, in loyalty in what they do. And in politics, it is not like that at all. Um, one thing that I really learned is that, you know, we, you know, we, we come down hard on Democrats a lot. I do. Um, part of it is because we get to see the ugly side all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, just all the time. I mean, I've been called the C word more, no, more times than I can tell. I Um, was gonna, people have told us that like we belonged in an internment camp with our kids. I mean, these, these are people on the left. No, there's some terrible stuff that was, but it's your own side that'll break your heart. If we're going to jump to that because I knew that at some point in this episode I I wanted to ask Tina a few questions about when you ran for office but yeah. I, I I was gonna 
I was originally going to wait because I, I I wanted to to more. Yeah, I didn't even get to tell you about how the MPs tried to take me to jail. Okay, let's do that for. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I'd never heard Let, this. Let's story. take a f a quick step back. Yeah. Um, and answer Shauna's question here okay. because I think it's really good. Before you guys got married, were you spiritually attacked? Ah, uh, I I don't. I I would love to hear more about where y'all were spiritually. In high school. You know. Just very briefly. That is actually um, interesting. Like, we both were Christians. Um, I, at the time, um, like, I knew Nick. Like, we were both we were both definitely devout Christians. Yeah. It's just there were some areas that hadn't fully developed in either one of us yet. Um, and our priorities weren't 100% in order. And so... Um, Yes, we were Christians, and yes, we knew exactly what that meant, and we knew what we believed. It was all of that. But our actions didn't always line up with it, and um, and it wasn't until, um, I mean, we thought, like, we thought we were doing fine, but it wasn't yeah. until God really kind of caused a revival in both of us, that, really? and he did it at the same time for both of us, and we weren't in the same place. He, We were separate. Um, because wow. he was he was um, deployed, I think he was either deployed or at a at a school, and then I was at home with the kids. And um, right about that time, my neighbor tries to get me to start coming to church with her because we weren't going to church. Um, and part of it was because I always wanted to go to church, but then Nick would always find something wrong with the church mm -hmm. and be like, eh, "We're not going there." And to his credit, I mean, yeah, it was. It was a Presbyterian church in uh, Washington State, so like, pretty sure he knew nothing against Presbyterians. No, but it was also in Washington State. And yeah. Anyway, so um, like he's like, this is I think our pastor's a lesbian. I'm like, okay, maybe. Um, and so we left there. Um, but but so it's like every time I wanted to go to church, um, there would always be a reason why not. And I I was sort of I went. It, it wasn't that he was just prone to finding problems with the church for the purpose of finding problems like he wanted it to be doctrinally sound he right. wanted he didn't want us sitting under like false teaching or bad teaching yeah. um but i was sort of at a point where i desperately really wanted um to be in a church because um uh kind of part of getting used to being in a new unit um special forces like it was about seven years before we um really had a big movement of God to where we aligned our lives to back to him. Um, and it wasn't that we were way off base or anything like that. It's that we weren't, we weren't devoted like we should have been. We weren't obedient like we should have been and we weren't seeking him like we should have. Um, and one of the, one of the things that kind of got us back into church and things like that is um, there was uh, when we first got to Washington state, to Nick's brand new unit, um, you know, like sometimes the the unit has to sort of take precedence. Like he has no choice; he's got to go. Yeah. Like, and um, and I I was pregnant at the time with um our second baby, and um, right about a day before he had to leave to go to a two week field problem, um. I knew something didn't seem right and I had gone to the doctor and um, I got a call saying that my hormone levels were going down, not up, and I was losing the baby. And so um, 
it was a really, really hard time because he couldn't stay. Like I, I hadn't fully miscarried yet, but we knew it was happening and I, and he couldn't stay. And, uh, you know, you've, you've heard of like postpartum depression and, um, after all of that happened, you, you go through like this weird mourning period. And, um, and I feel like it, that's kind of part of what brought us like our attention back is, is things just got really, really real, really, really fast. And, um, I ended up loading out Lily into the car and we drove the 10 hours down to my family's place. Cause I knew I was miscarrying and, um, and I got there and, miscarried and you know cried my eyes out and and it was just kind of a wake-up call to you know like seek the Lord more and uh it wasn't a whole long time after that that we got pregnant with Luke and um that kind of messed I it's weird how miscarriages will mess you up um like with Lily I bought tons and tons of clothes and got everything ready for the baby and with Luke it was like I was so afraid I was going to lose him that I, I was afraid to buy anything. And, um, but we showed up and he is amazing. Yep. Amazing kid. Um, and that's kind of, that's what kind of set us back on the path to, like, I was like, I've got to be in church. I'm so depressed, you know, after all of this. And I, I've got to get, I've got to like spend time with the Lord and, um, and, and feel like something else is, is, uh, like there's a support group that I can lean on because I hated the family support groups. I, I never really liked being a part of the FRG. And if you're a former military family, you know what the FRG is. Um, it's one of those groups where, you know, all the officers, wives, you know, are sitting at the table, you know, having their, this is how it was the first one I went to. And I said, I'd never go back. All the, the officers, wives sitting at the table, you know, drinking their little tea or whatever. And all the enlisted wives were sitting on the floor with their babies. And that's just, it was like, this is not my scene. <laughs> this is not my scene. So I didn't, I never went back. <laughs> but um, but I, I was really lacking support and it wasn't other military support I needed. I needed the support of, of the family, the body of Christ. Yeah. And, um, and we got that. And God just drew us both back right at the same time. Um, and he didn't know you know, that I was having a bunch of changes going on as well and seeking the Lord. I was becoming part of this Bible study and it was really like working me through a lot of, of good stuff, like working through trying to kind of delve into, you know, my walk with the Lord. And at the same time, he was being introduced to Christian apologetics where he was. And he just, he got it, really good at it that. It lit him on fire. And I had never seen Nick like that. Nick was always really the stoic one. Like you knew what he believed in, but he didn't really talk about it very much. Um, and I used to actually kind of wonder, like, is it in his heart or is it like just his head, you know? Right. And, um, but that was when I could like really start to see, I knew it was in his heart. It's just that he didn't show it much. And, um, but anyway, that's both of us coming back. So long, long, long story. I'm sorry to tell you that um, we were not always living quite the way we should. Um, our priorities were not what they should have been um, for part of the time. We didn't do anything wrong, yeah. like anything like major, but like our focus just wasn't on the Lord. And it wasn't until that seven year mark that God really got a hold of both of us. Like the Holy Spirit just 
at the same time in different places. Nick, yeah. um, Nick ended up becoming really good at apologetics. He actually yeah. taught my sister um, Christian apologetics. He never taught me that. Well, he informally did, but um, I mean, that, that was one of the things that, that drew me to Nick was his argumentative style. And I say that in a positive way. Um, right. But like his, his ability to, to like reason and, and argue for things in a, just such a compelling way. I remember at one point, cause I, I had first met you guys in like 2011. Um, it was either 2010 or 20, I'm pretty sure it was 2011. And, um, I remember by 2014, it was the summer or fall of 2014. I'm pretty sure it was the summer because I think I had, I had, I, I was done with school for the year. I was um, about to enter my senior year of college at this point. And I remember I was over at your house one day. This was back when I would I would go over to your place and I would be there for like five hours. Yeah, and you guys would solve all the world's problems. Yeah, my over. mother would like text me and be like, has Nick adopted you? Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, we were having a conversation about Nick needing to run for office. You and I were, it was in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were just like whispering to each other and we're like, what, why doesn't he just do this? And you were like, I know, right? He, he should, he's, 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 he makes such a good argument. You were from my point of view, very, very supportive from a very early point in time of Nick doing this, like not a career pivot, because I think that Nick would cringe if anybody ever called him a career politician, but in a sense, it is a career pivot because he has done this for years now. I mean, he's he has been active in politics and electoral politics for a long time, and um and and it is a career pivot in the in the in, in the sense of like the amount of effort that you have to put into it, right? The amount of work you have to put into it. It is, and the the crazy thing is, is uh, for those of you who are not in Virginia, Virginia has a part time legislator legis legislature. And it's still a full-time job though. It is a full-time job. You've got a lot of constituent services you're doing, but you're only, you're only in session for 45 days, one year, 60 days, the, the next year. And, uh, it, but when you're not in session, you're constantly dealing with constituent services, helping people navigate bureaucracy. Everybody expects you to be everywhere. And, uh, it's definitely, uh, and, and then so, there's campaigning. And it, in case you're wondering, um, what a, House of Delegates member makes in Virginia, it's a it's a little over 17000 a year. So that means you need another job, but not just any job. You need a job that will let you not be at your actual job for this huge portion of time in the winter from January to March. For like a quarter of the year, you, you need to just be able to take off doing your typical job. And it's job. hard to find a job that will let you do that. That's one of the reasons why you've got a lot of retirees in there or independently, Very independently wealthy people, wealthy people. Mm -hmm. or people like us where we manage to just like have something flexible enough to work around it. So I wanted to ask you about that, that the whole, you, you knew like, obviously you, you knew the type of sacrifices that were going to have to be made for Nick to go into the military, end up joining SF, being deployed multiple times, spending six or sorry, five out of 11 years being yeah. gone. Right. Yeah. What was your thought process when, you know, things like when I came along and, and cause Nick kind of like converted me into becoming interested in politics. And I feel guilty about this sometimes that, that I played a, a your small fault, role Christian. in pushing him to do this. But like, you know, when, when 2013, 14, 15 rolled around and, and we were getting towards the point where, 
you know, Nick was about to launch what became a political career um, or a side. Maybe it's more of a side hustle, but you get my point. That, that it's <laughs> oh like, my gosh. It was, it, it's, it's been a lot of work, though. It's been a lot of work, yeah. right? And so, like, what was your thought process with that? Because from my standpoint, you were very supportive of him running for office. I was, but um, behind the scenes, I was really, really scared um, because he, at the time when he got, when he got, went to get elected and everything, um, he had this one job that ended up going away and he was trying to get another job. And it's because the, the job he was in um, literally just went belly up. Like they paid everybody. Um, and then like two weeks later, they call a meeting and they're like, we're shutting our doors. We're done. And no more money's coming. Like they'd even worked for like about a month and no more money's coming. And so that was a little bit scary, uh, especially when, um, you know, you only make 17,000 a year as a, as a, um, house of delegates member. And he, you know, we, we have a family of five and a mortgage and, you know, everybody's got to eat. And so it, that was a huge challenge um, there. But then on, uh, and then of course he did get another job because Nick, Nick's really good. He's, he's an excellent provider. Um, but he, he definitely um, uh, didn't have to convince me. I had to convince him. And so I, I was just, I was, I was nervous about it, but I didn't want to like share too many of my nerves with him because I was afraid it would cause him not to do it. And I felt like we really needed him, um, in Virginia. It's one of, I'm probably the biggest reason why he continues to go for reelection and, and go for higher office. Cause I'm usually Isn't the one convincing him. F funny in a way, because usually what you hear from a lot of politicians is, you know, they're, they're going to retire because their family are sick and tired of sharing them with the rest of the world or the rest of the legislature or the state or whatever. I think that's where having a military background helps um, because a lot of people don't have that background where you've got to share for the greater good kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I know what he's doing is honorable. I know what he's doing is important. And, and I knew that when he would deploy, it's one of the reasons why when he was deployed, I would, um, I, it was, I would try to be very, very careful not to weigh too heavily on his mind while he was trying to carry out every, everything he had to do. Um, because sometimes, you know, you meet these wives that sometimes would spend the entire conversation. Like he only calls like once every, you know, couple of like a month or two, you know, while he's deployed and these wives would spend half the time talking about everything that was going wrong without him. And there's nothing he can do about it at that point. And you just have to pull yourself up and tough it out and not just tough it out, but problem solve and figure out how to make this stuff work out without him. And, um, and because he's depending on you to do both jobs, you can't, you can't wait for somebody to come and fix something until he gets back nine months later. You gotta, you gotta either watch a YouTube video and fix it yourself <laughs> or, or you need to call somebody and get something fixed. And, um, there were a lot of things like that that um, I really just tried not to weigh too heavily. I wanted him to know that we loved him and we missed him, but I also I didn't want him feeling like it was a total drag to be on the phone with me. I wanted to encourage him while he was there, and um, and his homecomings. It was it was important to have um, 
a big homecoming to me when he came home. I wanted him to know how much he was missed by how much we went all out to welcome him home. And um, I knew some women that, like, they would go to get their husband in the sweats they had slept in and go, you know, pick him up with the baby in tow. Like, I'm just, like, I don't even care that you were gone. And uh, it just kind of made you wonder on, on some of these things, like, not everybody handled it well. I mean, I, I watched lots and lots of marriages crumble around us in the military. And then you also watch that in politics, too. And Guess who just joined sad. us in the chat? Who's that? Nick did. Oh. <laughs> he says, it's a good thing I married a woman who can fix anything. That's actually true. Tina is true. a fantastic, I was about to say handy man. I guess handy woman. <laughs> uh, I've brought this up before, but. Our audience has grown a lot since I think I. You don't I have to talk about up. the table again. <laughs> you made this table that that we're all that we're all using for the podcast in this yeah. room, like the the backdrop behind me with the 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 wood and everything. Like you, you basically assembled the studio that we that we now use to do all of our recording. So that's really cool. I did. You know, it just I think it's uh, you're not always going to be good at everything, but you got to I don't know. Um, do what you are good at, you know. Tina, one of the, one of the comments that you made a little bit earlier was that, and I think it's really important that we touch on this. But you said it's your own side that will break your heart. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because that maybe that that that's related to when actually for Ham Hamilton over here was was holding us back and now he's pushing us uh, <laughs> ahead too far. No, it's okay. Stick to the script, Hamilton. No, okay. So we don't have a script related to that. It's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. Um, may, maybe it's related to the whole our side breaks our hearts, and I, I have a feeling I know where that's about to go. But is it to tee that up, I wanted to ask you before about you running for office because Nick had been in office. He, you know, he took office in January 2016, so that's been, what, eight years, almost eight years? Yeah. Um, you decided to run in 2019 yourself. Yeah. And that's a big change from being, you know, the spouse that is supporting it was a your weird husband transition, yeah. Running for office and putting himself out there in such a public light to you yourself putting yourself out there in such a public light. And yeah. not not just running in a general election, but like primarying a Republican. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like I told you, I I've always been a really strong conservative and I, I follow people's records and I, I know what they're up to. And it's always kind of weird to me when uh, I meet people who maybe don't live and breathe politics as much as we do. And they, they'll tell me, oh, I just love this guy. And I'll be like, okay. You know, like there's a few like it, that where. It, it really is a whole different world when you are behind the curtain of what's going on. You just, you see. You see people jockeying for position. You see yeah. people backstabbing. And uh, that's one of the things we learned in the military, it's like you could count on each other and you would meet another military wife and we could have each other's back. We would know, you know, like we'd be there for each other. If, if something went down that, you know, was hard while our husbands are away, we'd be there for each other. Um, and same with in Nick's units, you know, like he could count on any one of them to to carry out their job and and um, do whatever it is you requested them to do in the event something bad happened or anything like that, you know, and they were never like self-promoting. They were promoting each other. You know, they, they put each other in for their medals and things like that. They didn't put medals in for themselves. And there were certain, certain ones that would do that, that would stay back, you know, and 
they'd be like full of metals. And it's like, did you even leave the fob? But anyway, um, but for the most part, um, it was always uplifting others and not necessarily uplifting themselves. Always putting your team first, always putting everybody else first. That does not exist in politics outside of Nick Freitas. Your career will be very short and brutal if if you... And we have learned that the hard way. Yep. Like I have watched multiple times where people... Nick has a tendency to fall on his sword. He, he, will, he will take the sacrifice if it means getting other people over the line. And this is one thing in him that I think is a beautiful feature. However... Um, if somebody isn't very a very good person, and they'll a lot use of those it against people in politics. you. Yeah, they'll I, use it against you. And and I've watched them try to get Nick to fall on his sword, and I'm like sitting here fighting and fighting and fighting on the other side to be like, don't you dare listen to them. Don't you dare fall on your sword for this. That person does not deserve this. Look at their record. Look at you know. And so I'm always like, I'm always Team Nick, and I'm like, everybody else is a coward except for Nick Freitas, <laughs> and he's the only one with honor in there. And that's not necessarily true. I know several other people in the House of Delegates that are very honorable, very good, good folks, and I'm not. They're in the minority, though. But they are in the minority, and it is it is really frustrating. Like um, in our area, you know, we've got Mike Webber. He's a wonderful guy. We've got we've got a bunch of people where those are not the people I'm talking about. Wait, wait but, our our corner of Virginia actually has some really really fantastic legislators. Like, yeah, we've got Nick and Culpepper. We've got Mike Webber, North and Falk here. We've got Phil Scott and St and in Amanda Batten is Amanda Batten, awesome, but she's down in, she's down in Williamsburg. Yeah, so a little bit further away. Well, she's but, in a tough race right now. So oh she yeah, needs help. yeah, she is. But, I, I I've seen firsthand over and over again of people in the political sphere trying to take advantage of Nick yeah, because Nick has this, this honorable sense where, and maybe he developed it in the military of, of yeah, that is I, exactly I will have your back and, no and I'm going to expect that you have my back, but in politics that uh, doesn't happen. He'll people have stab your back. you in the back. He repeatedly. will have your back to his own detriment. Mm -hmm. And we, we, there is also this thing where people will, um, they will use you as far as they can. They yeah. will pretend to be your friend. Um, and then they will just discard you the minute you're no longer politically expedient for them. And we've we've gone through that before. There was one congressman that shall not be named who's dead to me now um, that Nick really stuck his neck out for. And this man has gone so far the other direction that it makes me sick to my stomach. And I mean, just the backstabbing that goes on is is insane. Um, even within your own, I mean, in the House of Delegates, I watched Nick save people from themselves so many times, uh, save people from bad votes so many times. And then the minute they are on the opposition with Nick, they, they will just lie about him. They will say that, say horrible things like make up lies, um, I watched him make up lies about me too in order to try to get ahead. And I, I just couldn't believe it. His run for Congress really sealed the deal for me yeah. where I was like, I can't, I mean, one of the other candidates had um, these signs, these sandwich board signs that these guys wore. He hired some guys and calling Nick a swamp monster and like that he was the swamp and, um, you know, just talking about, Anybody but Nick, like they, they just hated Nick. And, and I'm just going, Nick saved you from voting on the ERA. Like when, dude, when you first came in here, you weren't even pro-life. 
And now you're getting yourself a little pro-life, you know, background because you know you need it. Mm -hmm. And so there's certain ones where I'm just like, what a fraud. What a total fraud. And I will watch people that we know who know Nick and who know me. And that's, this is where it breaks your heart is they know that Nick is an honorable man. They have seen it over and over and over again. They know us personally. Um, And then they will like somebody else better and go, well, now I hate you, Nick. And it's like, really? And they'll go and they'll swirl lies around about Nick and things like that. And it's like, we have so many Judases in our midst. It's insane. And they do it for the wrong people. Like you kind of, you learn on the back end what people are really like and it's it's just wild. So uh, that that's... that black pilled me so much. Like seeing it within our own party. Yeah. And like getting to a point where I'm I'm just like a majority of Republicans are the problem. Yeah. It's not just the Democratic Party. There's there's a huge swath of them and 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 uh and they're people so so in the military it's like you made friends everywhere you went. And you trusted people everywhere you went because that was the culture. And in politics, if I met you in politics, I'm naturally skeptical of you. And I can't help it. Um, Like I hold people out at arm's length like crazy because I don't know. Are you just friends with us because you are are just using us as a stepping stone and now you're going to like gather anything you can about us and, and twist it and then throw it in our face later. I have no idea. I've just watched it happen so many times. And so there are certain people that, that, that you meet where you're like, I can't put my finger on it, but I'm going to be really careful here. And, um, we've all learned some very hard lessons. And there's other people though. There's other people where like, if you had, we know, like if we had to try to draw you into politics and be like, hey, I know you care about this stuff. Um, I know that this is really, really important to you. And we think you'd be a great candidate, mainly because you're not already trying to grasp at power. You're just doing what you're supposed to do and you're involved and you care and we can see it like permeating from you. If we're reaching out to you being like, you should run, that's a kind of, a big deal because um, most people it's like, I don't want this person representing me. So if I want you representing me, I believe in you. But, um, and I'm looking at you, somebody in the chat, but anyway, um, I know there exactly is, who there's you're one person to. in the chat that's there and I'm like, I'm talking about, I you know guys. exactly who you're speaking to. Um, yeah. Jake asks question. What is your guys' solution to improve politics? Um, uh, completely dismantle the, uh, woke administrative state that has has yeah. conquered. Um, I've we, we've I've I've referred to it before. The Leviathan, just kill the Leviathan, and you'll fix so many things. But, um, I mean, it. Yeah, you're not going to vote your way out of this problem. But that's probably a topic for another day when we bring Nick back onto the show. Yeah, I. Tina, wait, I, wait, I wanted to. We bring him back on to show. Well, yeah, know. Tina's taking. I over might now. just take over. He may. I may not give him back to you. All. <laughs> um. <laughs> Hamilton asked a, a, a question earlier about, um, you know, being heartbroken, but we've talked a little bit about the right side of it. When you ran for office, though, it wasn't just other Republicans that were, you know, slinging mud at us. You no. were running in a very conservative district, but there were people on the left that just said the worst, worst things. things. I mean, like I said, I, I received so much like hateful uh, messaging from 
people that it's like people think they're really anonymous on on like Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but it is so easy to find out who you are. And I so then I'll remember people like I'll be at an event and I'll remember your handle and I can look at you and go, oh, you're the person that sent this. And people don't seem to realize you're a human being. But yeah, when I ran for office, I was running against Emmett Hanger. He was the worst, worst Republican in the, in the Virginia Senate. Still is, although thank He's the Lord now. he will be leaving this year. Yeah. And I have no problem saying that publicly. That so this is a man who voted against really good gun bills. He, he, um, he would block constitutional carry every single time it came across. Um, he even, he even carried anti-gun bills, um, in certain years. And then when he would run that year, he would use an old endorsement from years back from like the NRA and, and, and that I used to, I got so mad at the NRA and, um, and, uh, the, I guess it, I'll just say the NRA. I got mad at the NRA because they refused to come out and make a statement saying that they had not endorsed him that year. And cause they hadn't. And he, they had actually downgraded his grade and everything. And, um, they had not endorsed him, but they refused to do it. And you know why? Because he was powerful mm -hmm. and they were hedging their bets and they thought he probably will win. And therefore, uh, I'm not, we're not going to stick our neck out and do what's right. I saw a lot of people that were not willing to stick for, they, they, they talked a great game. Yeah. They said all the right stuff. Yeah. There are they, several they, organizations that to me, anytime they call Nick now, I'm like, don't even. Do they that. were great keyboard. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they had a lot of keyboard courage and yeah. very little real life courage to actually yeah. step up and criticize a powerful man in office for voting the wrong way. And he did not just vote the wrong way on guns. I mean, the reason you primaried him was he voted the wrong way on life. He voted the wrong way on guns. He, he voted the wrong he way on Obamacare. On, he gave a speech on the floor of the Virginia Senate against the Hyde Amendment. And the Hyde Amendment is usually attached to a budget. And they didn't call it the Hyde Amendment here, but everybody knows that's what this is. It's the, it's the state version of the Hyde Amendment. And he argued against it being included in the budget um, because he wanted um, Medicare expansion so bad, or and Obamacare expansion, really, um, so bad he was wheeling and dealing and he was willing to um, deal in human life. Like, it's fine. Uh, we'll go ahead and take that out of this and and you can use the money on whatever you want. The Hyde Amendment says if, if any of these organizations get state funds, it cannot be used on abortion. It has to be used on other things, which... It's fine. The Hyde Amendment getting attached to things like makes people feel better about voting for the budget. But in, I mean, in reality, it's kind of a shell game. I mean, they can, because they didn't have to spend money on like, you know, birth control and these other things, they can spend more money on abortions. So it's, it's like, yeah, money's fungible and you can move it around. But, um, but anyway, um, so he was willing to hand that over and, and hand $4 million to the abortion industry um, over the span and even more over the span of the next several years. And that was just too much for me. I'm like, this man lives in a 70% Republican district and he votes like a Democrat. He carried the ERA. He cared. I mean, there were a whole bunch of things like that. He voted there. for billions in tax hikes too. I mean, he was just oh, terrible on every issue. He voted for some some of the biggest tax hikes in Virginia history. He was also bad on school choice too. Right, always. And and so this guy, he was just 
such a bad actor, but he was so, he was like, oh, shucks, and I'll play my banjo for you, and you're all going to just, like, follow in line. And and he was super kind of powerful, and um, and he was a likable guy, jovial, but he was really bad, a really bad legislator. And so nobody was stepping up to challenge him Um that year and everybody was afraid 2019 nobody would step up and i'm like this guy has done such egregious egregious things in his position how can nobody step up and we had one person we were trying to get to run they chose not to run so i went ahead and threw my hat in the ring and i was like i've got to make him at least pay he cannot he cannot just sail through with no opposition he has got to be held accountable so I knocked 100 doors a day um, straight all the way to election um, in the district and um, worked my tail off trying to win. And he outspent me six to one. Uh, he, he spent $600,000 to defeat me. And he did finally. He dumped so much money into the race in mailers that were like, horrible mailers brutally negative horrible and they they called me a never trumper um and that's convenient despite the fact that he endorsed john Kasich, he was the never the co-chair of john Kasich's campaign in virginia the most liberal republican running in 2016 it was insane to be called a never trumper by him and then um and then people would this is the part that broke my heart people would just believe it Mm -hmm. they would just be like you don't like trump that's it and I'm like, really, really? This man has voted to send money to the abortion industry. This man wants to like stomp on your gun rights. He doesn't want school choice. Like he wants to use your tax money for things it doesn't belong in. And you're going to get mad at me because he called me a never Trumper, even though that is not at all what I was. I voted for Trump. Um, I was a skeptic. Um, I had a hard time with Trump at, at first because of some of the stuff that he was caught on recording saying, and I felt like that wasn't very godly and I wasn't very comfortable with it. And, um, and so I had done some kind of a Facebook post saying, you know, it really makes me sick that I've got to vote for somebody, who, you know, as a Republican, um, who has all this stuff behind him, this background that is so, um, rough like there's so much ammunition against him it kind of it makes me sick that he said these things that he did these things I mean the whole idea um of sleeping with a porn star while your wife is pregnant I that made me absolutely sick and but in that post I said but he is our nominee and Hillary would be so much worse please vote for Trump that was me saying please I I hear you I know what you mean I, I hate it too, but you've got to vote for him because she is so much worse. And that post was for all the people who were having a hard time pulling the lever for Trump. I was trying to say, hey, look, I get it. Well, they took that post, they put a square over the section where I told them they needed to vote for Trump. And, you know, just conveniently over that section, just to say, show the bad things I said. And I lost that race because of, him calling me a never Trumper and at the same time sending out mailers to leftists saying that I was going to take away women's health care. Oh, wow. And um, and so he, he had, openly courted the Democrats to vote in the Republican yeah, primary. He had um, tons of Democrats voting in our primary 
as well as um, doing the never Trumper thing. And in Virginia, we don't have party registration. So what happens is Demo- uh, people that are in really, really um, red areas where they know I am never going to be able to win as a Democrat in the general election. What they will do is they will put forth um, or vote for a Republican they can stomach in the the primary. And so they will they will actively mobilize to skew the vote in the Republican primary in order to give us candidates that are really, really watered down um, or easier to beat. It depends. If it's a closer district, they will throw it by um, voting for somebody that's like a weaker candidate. But if it's in a big red district, they will vote for whoever will do the most of their bidding. And they treat it as the general election. That's exactly what they did. It was record turnout because of that. Um, because I actually got the number of votes I was supposed to get to win, but he had so much more turnout because of targeting, uh, the left. Tina got more votes than the average winner in their primary that year. Yep. But that race had astronomically high turnout, higher than any other race. And the reason why was because he openly courted Democrats. If Democrats have been excluded from the process, there's actually a good chance that Tina would have won. But, um, well, with my numbers, with our number crunching, we thought I should have. Oh, I thought so too. I remember telling your campaign like eight thousand votes is it, and you're going to win. And yeah, you, you and met I, that. I exceeded eight eight thousand, and um, yeah. But anyway, long story short, running for that office really opened my eyes. I mean, there were a lot of people in politics that say they believe in certain things, who what they do is they will buddy up with whoever they think has the power. Yeah, and. And they will totally like step away from what they say they believe in order to buddy up to the power. And that's one of the things I learned. I mean, I had one guy chase me down the road going, I know more about you than you know about yourself, waving one of those mailers. And I'm like, that's because they're lies. That's because, and I mean, we had a lot of lies spread about us um, in the Republican primary when Nick ran for Congress as well. I mean, they were getting ready to try to, say that I had another child somewhere. I remember hearing this. They said, (laughs) Tina has an adult child who is mixed race that they're ashamed of from a previous fling or whatever. And how did they come up with that? I have no idea. All I can think is on, I think what it is, because you have to have something to base that on, it seems like. Um, all I can think is that in my website, when I ran for office, it said that I was the mother of four Oh, and wasn't able to hold one of them because I miscarried. I mean, I figured people would understand. I also know the man who came up with that lie and that guy is a piece of work. Still active in, in Republican politics in Virginia, by yeah. the way, for those that, Very that live in the old dominion. There, there, there's a lot of, honestly, there's a lot of stories that I wish that I could tell. And I think that's part of the the problem because in the political system, it's just like you're, I mean, that pe- people who know me know that like yeah. you can push my buttons until a certain point and then I snap like I did in yes, August 2019. I remember that. To the House Majority Leader. That was fun. I remember um, fanning those flames. I, I remember you and I had a huge blow up about that. Yeah, we did. Same thing with Nick. I tore his bumper sticker off my car. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because, um, because. Yeah, there was there was a lot there, but there were some shenanigans going on, and Christian ripped the lid right off of it, and Nick was like, 
he didn't want people trying to protect him. And so he was like, stop trying to protect me. Stop trying to protect me. And, and this was him trying to fall on his sword. And, uh, and it, it, anyway, it's all water under the bridge now. It worked out. It worked out in the end. And yeah, he ended up winning the, the biggest write-in campaign of Virginia history. And we would not be sitting here right now. Um, if, if he hadn't done that, because him yeah. doing that teed up him running for Congress. And as we've brought up before, ironically enough, him running and losing his congressional race enabled us to have this, this show do what it is. Because if he yeah. was in DC right now, we wouldn't be doing Hamilton would be in an office building somewhere. Yeah. wearing a suit and tie being, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get <laughs> indicted or anything, but I'm still not convinced that he lost that race. Um, mainly because of the, uh, 14,000 votes that were found on a thumb drive and the 16,000 um, uh, absentee ballots that were never even requested but came in. Yeah, yeah, there was some... Both in Henrico County. You know, speaking of election stuff, um, maybe since we're... we're I think we've we've gone through a lot of the, the yeah. deep stuff we wanted to get to. Tina, what are your thoughts on this indictment that just came down yesterday? Number four. I have no idea. So Trump... Um, I'll, I'll tee it up for both of you guys. Hamilton, I um, feel free to chime in too. Um, Trump got indicted again. This is literally indictment number four. I mean, they're just throwing the kitchen sink at this guy at this point. Yeah. Um, and this one is apparently over the allegations that he tried to like steal the election in Georgia. And so there was a grand jury in Atlanta. I think it was in Fulton County that um, that indicted him and 16 or 18 other people yesterday. It just came out like late last night. And so... I mean, they're again, they're 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 throwing the kitchen sink at him. What I find so fascinating about this, though, is that like, uh, like, quite frankly, they've now criminalized you having any sort of complaints about the 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 yeah. political system, and so doesn't from my standpoint, I feel like that they're just they're setting themselves up to deal with somebody a lot more ruthless. And arguably more competent than Trump in the future because the stakes are too high. The, the precedent that we've now set is that, like, if you complain about the system or you fight back against the system or you pursue legal recourse against it, if you think that you were treated unfairly in the electoral yeah. process, you could potentially go to prison for that now. And so if the stakes are so high, there's some, um, there's this, um, it's like they're making it work, you know, they, they're trying to stop Trump, but what they're doing is they're really stoking the flames. They're they're making things worse for themselves. Yes, there's a um because I'm a nerd and I love historical analogies. There was this ancient empire. I can't remember if it was um Byzantium. It might have been Byzantium. It was either Byzantium or Persia, where there was like a, a penalty for death if you disobeyed anything. Actually, it might have been ancient China. Um, there was a penalty for death if you disobeyed an order, any order. And so there was this officer who like was late for showing up to, you know, the fort one day. And he was like, well, if I turn myself in, I'm just going to have my head chopped off. So I may as well stage a military rebellion. And in, in being too harsh, right. And by, by having rules where it was like, there's, there is no recourse. The stakes are too high. If you disobey or disagree or whatever, you're going to be executed. This, this empire teed themselves up to be overthrown because they created radicals that felt like they had nothing to lose. And I, I, I want your take on this, Tina, and Hamilton for that matter. I feel like that the Democrats in some ways are providing the rope that will be metaphorically used to hang themselves one day. Yeah. Because they've created a circumstance where there's no, there's no release valve for the pressure. 
you've now anybody that pushes back against the system is going to have their life destroyed and potentially thrown in prison. And so do you have any, any has, there's no hesitation now to be moderate about it. You may as well just, just go for the jugular. You're you're never going to win one side anyway. So what you do is you just, you just double down. And we've all learned that any kind of apology given anyway, will never do its job anyway. Even if you do do something wrong, uh, or that you regret, you better not apologize for it in this climate because if you do, the left will uh, crucify you over it and never let up, never. There is no redemption on the left. That's at least how it feels. I don't try to, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but but um, it really seems like the cancellation is, is real and constant. And like you even look at, um, I don't know if some of you guys have heard about Oliver Anthony and this song that just came out, Richmond, north of Richmond, and oh gosh, I had it on repeat, man. It it hits. I haven't so actually heard it yet. I think it's so interesting because I think it encapsulates a lot of what we were talking about in some of our previous episodes. Yeah, it does, and I just I some of the lines like you, I just knew there were a couple of lines in there that he was going to get like slammed for. Yeah, but it's so true. Like he he, he talks about um uh. Well, he did like a little nod to the Epstein Island thing saying, you know, I wish politicians would look out for miners as in, you know, coal miners. Right. Uh, And not just miners on an island somewhere, kind of highlighting the fact that there's a bunch of politicians on that list and they're all about finding miners there and whatever. Um, And so he kind of highlights that a little bit. And then he says, um, and you've you've got. people in the street with nothing to eat while the obese milk welfare, milking welfare. And he says, if you're five foot three and 300 pounds, taxes ought not to be spent on your bag of fudge rounds. Okay. So that section right there is like, Oh, he's fat shaming and Oh, he hates poor people. And that's not at all what he said. He was talking about like the truly poor, the truly downtrodden aren't getting the help they need while other people like completely milk the system. And it's crazy. I was looking at um, in in uh, the Richmond Times Dispatch on their Facebook page. You can always go to the comments if you want to get really angry really fast. And they were ripping into him talking about how he knows how to play the guitar and the dog whistle too. Like they were talking like that was a racist song. And it wasn't racist at all. He literally never mentioned any kind of race. And he's talking, unless... Unless they think it has something to do with um, Epstein Island or the or the welfare state, but like just like him, I'm sure he sees people on welfare um, in that condition. I saw it. I had you know I had family members who literally were generational welfare recipients, very very obese, and yeah. I'm like, so I saw that, and and I saw one of these. Um, uh, people doing like a react video and this guy is from from Africa and he said the one thing that really struck him when he he watched the video and listened to it and he goes you know it's so true the one thing that really struck me when I came to the United States is that I saw overweight homeless people and he goes I don't understand how you can be poor and overweight um and and some of it is because our system really um allows for that and and sort of creates that it's it's 
it's easier and cheaper to buy junk and garbage food. Um, and, and anyway, so his whole thing was, we, they shouldn't be buying the garbage with the tax dollars. It should be healthier food, right? Yeah. Um, and um, this guy was saying in Africa, you know, if you are fat, you are wealthy. It means opulence. It well, means that was the case for thousands of years. Yeah, and he 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 said he was just completely blown away when he came here and saw, you know, the obesity crisis in in you know a lot of our. Uh, lower income folks and um and it's not even just with lower income folks though it's it's like capitalism has it's produced all over a society the it's where all over the place but it's also a weird thing to have people that are like in poverty severely overweight yeah. oh, I mean, I, morbidly I, obese I, I actually to finish that sentence because i'm gonna have people watching this back and think that i'm about to criticize capitalism i'm not what, what i was about to say was that capitalism has produced a system where there's more obese people than there are starving people yeah and not that obesity is a good thing, but it's this abundance of food that, again, for thousands of years of human history, people, way more people starved to death than died from obesity. Nobody died from obesity 2,000 years ago, right? It's it, and, and yet today, yeah. the health crisis that we have today is obesity, not, despite what a lot of people on the left will talk about, that is the bigger crisis, not people going hungry. Do people go hungry? Of course. But now that's but, all fat shaming. Like you're not allowed to talk about what's healthy and what's not. It's like uh, what fat phobic. They use the word fat phobic. They're, yeah. they're now saying that if you go to the gym and you stay healthy and, and try to be a healthy weight, that's fat phobia. Well, remember going to the gym and working out is a sign of being radicalized by the far right. Sure. It, uh -huh. you're, you're basically a fascist at that point if you go to the gym more than three times. Yeah, right? it's just, it's insane because I mean, even our the the whole um diabetic crisis we have in our country um and and everybody you know freaking out about di diabetes medicine um a huge like 90 something like 90% of diabetics are type 2 diabetics where it was in a lot of cases lifestyle induced a lot of it deals with eating poor foods yeah but if you want to eat healthier foods hamilton <laughs> We'll give the plug at the end of the episode. I thought that we're at the end here. No, no, we we're got about there. we got you about know, we have about ten minutes left. Okay, oh so man, yep. you Do just I just ran right into a brick wall. I had like the segue okay. set up. I got into the car. I was like, here we go. We're gonna go we down do. the journey, and then boom, <laughs> crash. We do crash love, and burn. We do love our partners. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, if you want, I can go ahead and I guess well, I'm not I, going to tell the story about how the MPs tried to wanted to arrest me. I, I knew won't. that we were going to hold this until the end of the episode. You want to? You want to say it now? Should I tell you guys? No, I've never heard this story yet. I'll tell that story on another episode. Another someday. episode. Oh, that's I, so unfair. <laughs> Tina, I do want to ask you how yeah. the bees are doing. They're because, doing well because you brought a jar of honey yeah. over here to the house, and it is the sweetest. It's delicious honey I've ever had. Yeah, um, and I'm down to half a bucket of honey. I had a bucket and a half. You talking like a five a bucket. gallon bucket yeah. of honey? Yeah, I'm down to half a bucket because I've given a whole bunch of honey away. <laughs> what, what do y'all use honey for around the house? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Um, I use honey like I Nick will go to the gym, and I've got these really good protein shakes. Uh, mix that I got that yeah. it's like the best I've ever tried. Anyway, I will make him after he gets done with the gym, I'll make him a protein shake with a little bit of peanut butter in it just to give him a little boost. And he also needs the fat in his diet. And, uh, and then I'll add, you know, a little bit of my honey in there just to 
you know, because protein shakes kind of have that weird uh, flavor so that kind of hits the back of your throat. It's like that artificial sweetener so flavor. Bad. And I find that honey really takes that away. I mean, it becomes something like decadent when you add a little honey. Okay. Uh, quick round of questions before we wrap up here. I want to get to a few. Uh, so maybe 60 seconds on each. Uh, Jake on the MTA channel, nope, this is on Nick Freitas' channel, asked, should all politicians be prior military to run? No. Okay. Um, sometimes, to be honest, um, we love our military folks, and um, if they have a heart to be in politics and sacrifice some more, um, that's awesome, amazing. Um, but some of the challenges that our military folks go through, I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit, is um, – there is a culture shock when you switch over. And a, and a lot of times, um, unless there are some people that I know who are prior military that do everything they possibly can to self-promote. And then there's other people who are prior military who are self-sacrifice. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot in between. It's like you're either <clears throat> one that self-sacrifices for everybody else or you self-promote. And... Um, and the ones who self-promote will, like, really, really work against the ones who self-sacrifice. Forever Nick, there's a Pete Buttigieg. He was military? He literally joined the military and then got out as soon as he could. So that way he could slap it on his resume when he ran for office. Yeah. He, intend he even has, like, told people that. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. don't even know that he was in in the military, but he jo he joined just to further. I mean, his there's plenty career. of them that did that. Like they did sort of like the, the, uh, token service thing. Um, no, like I, I think that, um, it would be amazing if our military people, um, had a heart for that. Um, you just have to really guard against what is there and recognize that not everybody has that sense of honor that you've fostered. Yeah. So. Okay, this question is coming from Harrison. How did Tina and Nick ensure the strength of their relationship while Nick was gone so much? Um, I mean, some of it is, I mean, like we didn't, we weren't able to communicate very much. I mean, it was really sparse. It was really that we both resolved to do the part we were required to do. And, um, and so I... I think um, sometimes you've got women who will like blame the husband for every hardship that happens while he's gone. I had one gal tell me she was not a military wife. Thank God, because she would have completely like destroyed somebody. But she told me that Nick, um, she could never have her husband be away for long periods of time. And she, uh, and she can't believe that Nick just leaves his family the way he does. Um, she was a real gem anyway. But, um, and then she goes, like, I completely understand these wives who cheat on their husbands when their husband is gone because she needs support and she needs this and she needs that. And I just looked at her and I was like, just don't ever marry somebody in the military if that's your mindset because it's or not. Or anybody. Right. Well, unfortunately she was married to my brother, but, um, but anyway, not anymore. Um, thank God. Oh. But, Anyway, I was never so happy when marriage ended in my life. But um, I know that was not very godly of me. I'm sorry, guys. But um, but it's true. Um, so anyway, uh, this woman tells me that, like, men deserve to be cheated on if they go off to war. 
like like the my brain just can't even wrap around that and and like movies would come out like while while all this was going on do you guys remember dear john and there was like this woman who uh like all these people loved this movie and i'm like how can you love this movie she was so weak and she was a coward and she she didn't deserve him and i just remember thinking like any woman who who goes to marry a military guy and then just can't be strong for him for a little while, like can't hold her stuff together. I, I, I don't have anything for you. That's weakness. That's, that's insane. And so just like he has to be strong to go and fight for our family and for our rights and for other people and people overseas who need help. Um, I've got to be strong for him. And, and he can't work. He can't be over there worried about whether or not, you know, I'm feeling lonely. Give me a break. Like, yeah, it was rough at times, um, but you set certain, you know, boundaries in place. You make sure that you you do everything you're supposed to do. Like, we didn't have family around or anything like that. Like, it's raising three kids all by myself while he's gone. Um, if I needed a doctor's appointment, I took the kids to the doctor's appointment. If I had to go to a court case, like when the MPs wanted to arrest me, uh, I took the kids to the courthouse, you know, so there was, you take your kids everywhere with you. And it's like, you have to be strong for them. And, um, and while your kids are missing their daddy and you're holding them at night and they're crying cause they miss their daddy and you want to cry too. Cause you miss him too. Um, that is, I, I, I watched some women who it's almost like they didn't let the man be their kids' hero, and I didn't understand that, um, partly because Nick is my hero, so why wouldn't I make him their hero? Why wouldn't I foster that? And so I would talk about what Daddy's doing and how important it was and, and, um, and, and just try to reinforce that, you know, when he comes home, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to welcome daddy home. And I made them little shirts and things like that with Nick's picture on them. Um, I made uh, a pillowcase that had the three, the, the pictures of the three kids' faces and um, sent it to Nick. I would send him, you know, uh, little care packages that had like a, a card inside of it with baby powder because we used to call that baby crack because you'd smell your baby and they just smelled so good. They smelled like that Johnson and Johnson lavender or whatever. And so I would take a little of that and I, and I like put it there so he could smell it. So it, it would just kind of bring back because the sense of smell is so important. Anyway, there were a lot of things like that where um, I tried to make sure that when Nick came home, it was a really big deal and that he knew we missed him, but that we weren't destroyed without him. Like we had yeah. to be strong for him. He was doing way bigger things than, than I was. And, and it, to act like we shouldn't be sacrificing too is, is insane. So, um, I think what it was is, is for us is that, I mean, we were all, we were so well established in our relationship already. Um, anytime that there is, uh, disconnect between us once in a while, you know, it will feel like we're not really on the same page. Like, why aren't no. we connecting? And we will have the big conversation to get back on the same page because neither of us can stand it when we're not aligned. And, um, and both of us just, it's like, he is 
it for me and I'm, I'm it for him. Like, and, and I am grateful. I think he's amazing. So Nick, Nick made a comment in the live chat. He said, we also had husbands that would re- return from combat and not fully appreciate that uh, while it was hard for them over, overseas, their wives had it hard back at home as well. There has to be joint appreciation for each. There does. And and I do see this weird thing with some people going, oh, I don't understand why these military wives think that they should get some kind of special treatment or this or that, you know, and, and you're not the one who served. He's the one who served. You're not the one that went to war. He went to war. And I'm telling you right now, uh, it takes a whole family to yeah. send somebody to war in a um, in a in a capacity where they can let go of what they have to deal with back home because they know that what they're letting go of is safe in your hands, and so that he can fully focus on getting back home. Yeah. Uh, you know, s- saving his friends, saving other people, completing the mission, and getting back home safe. We've been over a lot today. This has been awesome. Thank you for everybody in the yeah. chat that has played um, a role in driving the direction of the show. Tino, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Yeah, all of this to say, I know that this is sort of a, an all-over-the-place um, podcast episode, and it's been fun. I was, to be honest, really, really nervous um, that I wouldn't be able to be interesting for uh, the podcast. But um, but all of this to say this, um, you know, Nick and I have been, you know, we're we're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary coming up in May. And we have been through so many things, you know, we've had, we've, you know, we've had our home. I mean, we didn't even get into everything. We've had our home broken into identity theft stuff while Nick was away, stuff like that, that I had to take care of. We've gone through having our, our son break his skull and almost die. Um, we, we've been through miscarriages. We've been through, um, We've been through so, so many things. Um, And I'm telling you, all of that to say, like no matter what season you're in, and it could be just the hardest season of your life, um, the next season's coming. And if you can get through this one, it's going to build you up. I remember um, talking to Luke about becoming a young man. Like that's some, some of what you have to do as a mom um, when your husband travels a lot or when he's in the military or what, you've got to confront some things with your boys that would normally be something he takes care of. And um, we had a, a situation where Luke would tell me he did something when he didn't really do something that I asked him to do. And I finally had to sit down, and, and he was very little. Um, I had to talk to him and say, look, you know how daddy is a really honorable man and he always tells the truth and you can count on him when he gives his word. It's his word. I mean, he is the most honorable person I've ever known. And that goes all the way back to high school. I remember thinking he was just different from everybody else. And he was, um, he cared about what he did affecting other people. And I said, now I want you to be an honorable young man. Do you want to be an honorable young man like daddy? And he's like, yeah, like he wants to be like daddy. He wants to be honorable. And I said, now becoming honorable doesn't happen overnight. That's not something that you just, you know, make a decision and do it right now. You, that is something you build up over time. That is every single time you are confronted with either taking the easy route or telling the truth or lying or telling the truth. Um, doing what's hard and necessary versus sitting back and not doing anything at all. 
um, or take, you know, just taking the easy way out and, and shrinking away from duty and shrinking away from, um, honor and, and things like that, things that you're supposed to do. Every time you make that decision, you get further and further and further away from what you want to be. And that's the honorable man. And every time you make a decision to tell the truth, every time you make a decision to do the right thing, even when it's hard for you, every time you don't choose self-preservation over, um, over, you know, doing what's right. Every time you do that, um, you get closer and closer to being that honorable man. And so all I would say is we have a lot of memories. We have a lot of things that, that are positive, things that are negative, and it all builds character and how you go through it builds character. And there's a lot of folks that are struggling through a lot of things. And if you, if you do what you know is, is the correct action and you tell the truth, ultimately over time you will find that you are, um, you know, you, you have become the person of character you want to be. And um, that's, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Just, just the fact that, I mean, I look at Nick and, and I just, there's nobody like him. And, but there's a lot of people that could be if they would just make the decisions, you know? Yeah. So anyway, but that, that was my making the argument, the, what you're going through now builds character, let it build your character. Christian, you have any closing thoughts for us? I'm still mad at you for derailing my ad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can, Tina, I want to say thank you for being vulnerable with everybody today. I think it, um, that was great. It, I think it provides a great example of, of what we should be living up to. Um, you know, and I think it provides a good example of what future wives should be looking for in a husband and a reminder to young men like myself that we can make the choice to live honorably. Yeah. And that is the right decision and will pay dividends for years to come. Absolutely. The the thing that I appreciated the most about this episode was uh, I, a lot of, you know, a lot of attention is, is, you know, directed towards Nick, obviously for, for, you know, his background, his military record, his record in, in the general assembly in Virginia, his, his previous run for Congress. And then, you know, the stuff that he does today, right. A lot of, a lot of our audience listens to us because they first hear about him through Instagram or, or through YouTube. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't know, but then they, they, they come to know when they tune into this podcast is that Nick doesn't operate in a vacuum. He's, he's not, he's not single. Right. And, and he doesn't, um, you know, just do this all by himself. He's got you by his side. That's been with him for, you know, well over 20 years and, and not just supporting him as a spouse, but ideologically in his camp that follows this stuff just as much as Nick does and has sacrificed in many respects, just as much as Nick does. I would argue in some ways your run for the general assembly was a lot more difficult than Nick's run. Nick walked in there. Everybody does it. A lot of people don't know this, that like Nick walked into the general assembly in the sense that he ran and there was no opposition in the primary well, and no opposition. There in the was general opposition that dropped out, that dropped out for specific reasons. And I, I do think that there's a lot of value to be, to be had in having these conversations about Tina's own, you know, spiritual, military, political path. And, and also, you know, through the perspective of being Nick's spouse, like, because 
there a lot of that stuff people don't know when they just watch the you know the 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 YouTube shorts or the Instagram reels, right? Because a lot of it is is you know Nick being witty and funny and getting across a few political yeah. points, but they don't necessarily get to know, you know, the phrase you know behind every great man is 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 a woman. It, to some respect, is true. Well, Maybe not a always. A woman can either but, make or break you. Yes, I've seen a lot of women destroy a, oh, a man's definitely. career too. I, I, I mean, yeah. we've we've done podcasts on this before, but mm-hmm. I think this is a very important episode to be had because, yeah, being able to show that side, like a lot of the stories that you brought up today, I, I actually, I've known you guys for like twelve years now, and yeah. I, I didn't know at least and half I even those saved stories. Some of them for next time. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to yeah. the MP one now. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Nick will be back on Thursday as long as flights don't get canceled or delayed. So we look forward to that. But it's been great having Tina here. Real quick before we go, I want to let you know about a brand new subscription that Good Ranchers is offering. Here are the details. All subscriptions to any box will receive a bonus two pounds of their high-quality Angus ground beef in every order for two years. A $480 value that all subscribers get for free. Their ground beef is the best ground beef in the country. And now you can lock your price in for two whole years. So make sure you go down to the link in the description. Use promo code Nick. Get your subscription. Get your free ground beef for two years. And that would be one of the best ways that you can help out the show. And again... Thank you all for joining us. It's been a great time, and we will see you on Thursday.